0: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. All right,
1: I'm gonna get a Stardust today. And I just want to apologize to you both because this this is an animal that I discovered earlier today. And it was absolutely horrifying,
2: oh perfect. I'm so excited. um why so, wait, hold on,
1: Rachel,
0: you know what podcast you're on, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely why, this is why, strange by why nature. would you
0: apologize for discovering something horrifying to share with us? That's why we're here,
1: right, but normally, Victoria is the one who brings the absolute nightmare <laughs> fuel. uh, I'm bringing a little bit more nightmare fuel to our podcast.
0: Oh uh, bless you. Well,
2: my topic this uh, week is okay. very gentle, so we balance each other out. Oh, cool. Out. There we yeah, go. Mine
0: is very mine is very calming as well, so we Oh, good. We'll we okay. start
1: off on a horrifying and then we go into calm. Awesome. So, in 2007, there was a German research vessel that was using an open net in the southern Atlantic Ocean, and they were trolling the Bethel pelagic zone. Which was anywhere between five thousand seven hundred and forty feet, and all the way down to six thousand five hundred and sixty feet deep into the ocean. Now, this is all known right. as like the midnight zone of the ocean. Mm-hmm. It's not quite at the abyss, not the deep dark. There's no light. There's very, very little light that reaches the midnight zone.
0: Okay, that's 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 pretty deep.
1: Yeah, it's pretty deep. Now they bring the net up, and the researchers find one specimen of this never seen before sea creature. Okay. okay. Now, I'm going to give you the Latin name of it. It wasn't until recently that it was given a more common name, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you both look at the picture that I emailed you. Uh, the Latin name for this species is Promocotifus sulcus. Okay, Mhm. Okay. That doesn't sound too bad.: that, it, does it doesn't, not really, sound it doesn't bad. mean a lot to me, no. There's about three species that have been discovered and studied a little bit. Remember, there's only been the one specimen found. Now I want you to both open your emails and tell me what you see. All right.
0: All right. Oh no. No. (laughs) No. Oh
2: God. God, that is teeth. Okay, so so I'm gonna describe it here. So imagine
0: go for it.
2: Um. Well, my first impression was a sea star with a lot of arms.
0: Yeah, like a ten-armed sea star, kind of. But there's like yeah. tentacles on the bottom. They're tentacles. Mm-hmm. So the
2: tentacle—it looks sort of like the suction cups on a on an octopus, but they're yeah, littler. Sure. Maybe it's a little hard to tell but how the, big it is in this image. But the
0: middle. In the
2: middle, there's. Oh. Sort of so there's an outer ring that's round, and then an inner area that's a little sort of depressed and white, and then
0: in the middle, yeah, it's like a hexagon with like a like a, like a pineapple circle in the middle. There's the mouth of Sauron. Oh, <laughs> that's a great dis- get, description. It's yeah. like a hell mouth. I mean, it it looks like it's a round opening, but I it looks like a full set of like dentures it that looks been popped in there. Very.
2: Scary human teeth. Oh, yeah.
0: why is why does this exist, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> so this is and, a... and again, what is there more to the creature? Or are we like just seeing sort of the bottom of it? I assume
1: <laughs> you're just seeing the bottom of it, yeah. Okay. Uh that was that was the picture that I stumbled across and I went, there's no way this is real. Absolutely not. I triple quadruple checked. This is a real creature. That is a real picture from the research vessel. Okay?
0: Can I can I point something out interesting though? There's there's six arms mm-hmm. across the top that have like the little suction cups on them, right? Yeah. And then there's then there's two big beefy arms that come off the bottom and then two more between those that have suction cups, but the two big beefy arms don't have any sort of like suction cups on them. What's up with that?
1: So that's what scientists are super interested in. Most okay. common folk, when they see this, this is a commonly known, commonly known as a gob faced squid.
0: Sure, it is. Okay. <laughs> Why I would call not, it the right? hell hellmouth squid, but that works right?
1: too. Absolutely. So most scientists are not actually interested in what look like those teeth uh, or dentures, uh, which do look scarily like human teeth.
0: No, because those... if they thought about it too much, they'd never sleep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly so these those are actually not teeth they are folded lips which somehow makes it worse so they are at the entrance of the mouth and they conceal the beak which is a more uh traditional like squid beak sure okay? sure yep and what happens or what happens so so they have that folded mouth uh, and that's what everybody else who sees a gob face squid freaks out about what scientists are really interested in is that this species like you were talking about Kirk they have eight they have eight arms which are those smaller thinner tentacle like um appendages and with they're the thinner H, at the H, base
0: with H, a lot of like an, oct- like an octopus like
1: an octopus uh, gotcha. but those are arms they're not tentacles okay there is a difference
0: you mean, you mean the two extra things or the eight things
1: the eight things those okay. are eight arms okay and so they're not
0: tentacles Okay. they are
1: not and generally they have sucker so arms are defined in squids and octopi octopus that Arms have suckers that are along most of the length of that arm. Tentacles only have suckers near the ends, which generally develops like a club.
2: Okay. So those those, two
1: really thick... I'm using my own shoulder like that makes sense. Those two really thick uh, tentacles is abnormal because generally arms and tentacles in squid and other species they're uniform looking you can't tell the difference for the most part so
0: the two bigger ones they actually are tentacles
1: those are actually tentacles okay. yes okay so, the, so they the have creature, like a club at the end of the the tentacle it's been like pumping that iron has suckers.
2: with its two tentacles basically to beef them up
1: pretty much yeah yeah so because it is uh Not only are the arms and the tentacles different widths at the base, but the scientists are really interested in the fact that it's actually irregular proportion from their body to the tentacles. Usually there's an equal or there's a general proportion that scientists have seen in squid, especially when it comes to the length of their body and the length of their tentacles. And this is very irregular.
0: So is is this actually technically classified as a type of squid or is it just in its own?
1: uh, So this particular, uh, I think I said it earlier, there's only about three species in this uh, genus. So it is kind of in its own and they all are uh, generally known for having uh, those suckers at being like the suckers on the arms are much larger than the club suckers on the tentacles and the head and the mantle of that squid is actually fused rather than separate parts.
0: Okay, so it is it is a type of squid, but it's just in its own. Its own yes,
1: penis. exactly. Okay. Uh, the other really interesting thing. So it looks horrifying, right? Like you wouldn't want to run into this along the bottom of the ocean, right?
2: No. And you know, you know what it's come to me. What else this reminds me of? If any of you have seen Pan's Labyrinth, the Pale Man. uh, It's this monster with no eyes and uh, really big teeth in its mouth. Uh, So, yeah.
1: Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Sounds horrifying. Uh, This squid is only about an inch long.
0: What? Oh. Wait, hold on. Okay, you tricked us. Is I it did. in a petri dish uh, in this picture? Yes. Uh, yes. Oh wow. Okay, so from this picture, I'm picturing something that's like coming through, a, uh, you know, the forest in the upside down after me or something. This right. is tiny. It's
1: it's tiny. It's only about an inch long. They scientists don't think they get that much bigger.
0: Okay, is the fact that it could accidentally crawl into your mouth does that make it creepier?
1: Now that you've said it out loud, yes. <laughs> well,
2: now I won't sleep.
1: <laughs> but
0: it can't uh it can't eat you though, is the point.
1: No, it absolutely can't. Uh not a uh, lot I'll, not a lot is known about this particular species of squid. There's only been the one spe- one specimen found in two thousand and seven. So that's fairly recent as well. Wow. Yeah. So that's what I have for you
0: today.
2: That was really special. Thank you
0: that is special and again we're gonna to have to get a picture of this up if we can uh for everyone to see because oh it's just <laughs> when you see something like this you just gotta you gotta share it it's like a earworm you gotta share it in order to get it out of your out of your brain this is
1: absolutely oh,
0: <laughs> wow you're
1: welcome
2: hey everyone We've been asking folks if they like the show to leave five star ratings on uh, on their podcast app of choice. So I'm going to read one here from Apple Podcasts that Katie Duke O5 left the other day. So this says, "I listened to the first six episodes in one day. This podcast provides all kinds of fun examples of how huge, complex, and amazing the natural world is, but it's also a very human show, full of humor and glimpses into how the." Hu- the economy and human health intertwine with nature, as well as into the careers of naturalists. What an awesome review. Thanks, KD Duke. And if uh, if you folks are enjoying the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would leave your own five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It would really help us out and help other people find the show. Thanks. All right, we're back from the break. And my story starts out as a story about geology, but it's going to turn into something else. Uh, so I'm going to take you back to 1977. And at that time, plate tectonics had only really been widely accepted as a theory in geology for about 10 to 15 years. So this is the theory that really revolutionized geology. Alfred because, Wagner. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to get go there.
1: Alfred Wagner,
2: man. Very cool story. But... Uh, <laughs> um, I'm gonna kind of skate pretty quickly through that part. Um, so just as a reminder, plate tectonics is the theory that revol- revolutionized geology. Um, so instead of thinking that the continents were fixed in place, uh, they realized that continents are attached to giant plates that move around or they're pushed apart at ridges and then disappear in subduction zones. So if you've heard of the ring of fire, um, It's related to that. Most earthquakes and volcanoes occur uh, related to plate tectonics and plate boundaries. Not the Johnny Cash song? No, 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 that is different. Okay. So in 1977, geologists were still in the process of, of learning about the way plate tectonics worked and kind of proving some of the different parts of it. And one of the things that was expected to occur, but had not yet been found was hydrothermal vents um, in areas where plates were spreading apart. So this is where magma is coming up as the earth is spreading apart at a plate boundary and cracks are going to occur and the seawater is going to get down in there and become superheated by the magma and then come up sort of like an underwater geyser or a hot spring. So they really wanted to find these. um, And so they created Alvin, which was the first submersible that was capable of carrying people down to deep areas of the ocean floor. Uh, And in 1974, they did an expedition in Alvin to the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, which is a major spreading zone. And the occupants were able to get down there and observe the rift zone where the magma was coming up. Super cool. But they did not find any hydrothermal vents. So they started very disappointing. Uh, so they started looking for other spots, and they found some good evidence of them near the Galapagos Rift, uh, which is west of Ecuador, near the Galapagos Islands, go figure. So in, ni- yeah, in 1977, a team headed to the Galapagos, um, and this, by the way, included Robert Ballard, who later became famous for discovering the wreck of the Titanic. So they were there in a ship, they had Alvin ready to go, and to scope exactly where they wanted to um, pinpoint Alvin to, they sent some deep sea cameras to scope the area first. And they found an area with a temperature spike. But as they started to develop the photos, they realized that in some of these photos, there were heaps of clams and mussels, right where this temperature spike was. And this was really confusing to them because the ocean floor was supposed to be a barren desert. Nothing was supposed to really live there. So they see this okay. and they're like, huh? Anyway, barely hours after the photos were developed, the team gets into Alvin, descends to the seafloor at this site where the temperature spike had been found. And so I'm going to quote Robert Ballard here briefly from one of his later books. So he said, quote, Alvin and its three man crew entered another world coming out of small cracks, cutting across the lava terrain was warm, shimmering water, unquote. And even crazier surrounding these vent sites where the warm water was coming out was a huge spread of different kinds of animals. There were clams, there were mussels, there were crabs, there were octopus, there were several foot long white tube worms with red tops that were all clustered together like a field of flowers kind of blowing around in the current like flowers in the wind. And the scientists were... Looking at this, and it was like a geologist and a geophysicist geophysic, phys- and a geochemist. They hadn't thought to bring a biologist on the expedition. Not, I mean, not not just an alvin, <laughs> yeah. but not on the of course ship. Not, yeah. There was
0: no. Why would they? They, do they that? didn't think they needed to. Why would you bring a biologist to the Galapagos Islands? I mean, that's so. Crazy.
2: This is the abyssal zone, like <laughs> Rachel was mentioning earlier. Um, <laughs> there is no light down there. The temperature is barely above freezing once you're away from the vents. And so since all of life as they knew it then was based on photosynthesis, they were completely uh, unsure. They just didn't know how how these animals could be surviving and thriving where they were. Um, So just as a review, like photosynthesis is where plants or algae can use the energy from sunlight to crack open carbon dioxide. And then they use that carbon to build their cells. And that's the basis for the entire food web and all life on earth as it was known then. And obviously they couldn't be, there couldn't be any photosynthesis going on down there because there was no light. And because they hadn't, they hadn't expected to find the stuff, the ship didn't even have stuff to preserve all the specimens that they, that they collected. They had a small amount of formaldehyde that one student had brought and they resorted to using some vodka that they had bought in Panama. Of course. Hey, sounds like a research trip. Yeah. But they did eventually get these specimens back to some biologists and did some other expeditions a couple of years later. And the biologists eventually figured out that um, there were bacteria at these vents. And these vents were spewing out something called hydrogen sulfide, which is a chemical. And instead of sunlight, the bacteria used the energy from the chemical oxidation of hydrogen sulfide to crack the CO2 to get the carbon. So this is called chemosynthesis instead of photosynthesis. And this is the, yeah, it's amazing. This is the basis of the entire food chain down there. The other organisms eat the bacteria um, and then so on and so forth. And they're actually like those tube worms with the white tubes and the red tops. Um, They have a symbiotic relationship with the bacteria. So the bacteria are actually inside their bodies, creating this energy for them. Really? So this entire ecosystem exists without the sun living on energy from the depths of the planet. Um, And this discovery was something that just completely revolutionized the the understanding of how life on this planet can be. And in fact, it kind of opened up um, what our possibilities are for finding extraterrestrial life because it expanded outside of those very narrow boundaries, what, What the ingredients are for sustaining life. So, really, one of the all time greatest discoveries.
0: So cool.
1: I'm, it's not great for a a podcast, but I'm speechless. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I had heard of life at the uh, hydrothermic vents before, but it never, like, I never thought about how revolutionary that actually is.
0: Well, I know they are working on, you know, there are people who want to send spacecraft to some of the moons and places uh, in our solar system to look for other forms of life. And some of this was mm-hmm. the inspiration for that, to think about what are some of the ways you would detect life that functions in a different way than life does on Earth. So, I mean, it's, it's so cool.
2: Yeah. Well, and after the break, we'll have Kirk.
0: Victoria, what do you think dental floss is made out of?
2: Mm, Isn't it just like a long string of plastic, basically?
0: Yeah, it's made out of PTFE, which is the generic name for Teflon. Uh, You're right. It's just a big, long piece of plastic. Look, flossing is important to the health of your teeth. But when you throw that floss out each day, you're basically creating waste that will last for thousands of years. It's nuts. Our friends at EcoCasian.com once again have a solution, and it's Dental Lace. This all-natural product comes in a beautiful glass vial with a cool metal lid. It comes in a natural silk or a plant-based alternative for our vegan listeners. Dental Lace is just one of hundreds of products curated to make your life more ecologically friendly. And you can find them all over at Ecocasion.com. That's E-C-O-C-C-A-S-I-O-N.com. Use code STRANGE at checkout to apply our special discount to your entire order. I want you to imagine being out in the wild. There are predatory animals that want very badly to make you their prey. You basically spend your life surrounded by your enemies, and you're trying your hardest to survive when suddenly you lose consciousness.
1: That sounds uh, terrible.
2: Bad
0: idea. Well, yeah, horrible idea, right? I mean, it sounds like a nightmare scenario. Being unconscious is pretty much the worst possible thing for you. falling, Especially inco- if
1: you're surrounded by predators. Right.
0: I, I don't mean surrounded in a circle. I mean they're, they're out there at all times in, in the habitat with you. Uh, so falling unconscious is pretty much the most vulnerable state for an animal to be in that you can possibly imagine. And this sounds bad, uh, mm-hmm. yet it happens every single day. And we don't call it falling unconscious. We call it falling asleep. So, Kirk, sleep, where are you
1: going with this?
0: Sleep is a state where we lose consciousness, right? Now, oh man, right. we can do an entire podcast series just devoted to the scientific and philosophical question of what is consciousness. So, to be clear, I'm going with a relatively simple definition here of consciousness as being uh, aware of and responsive to your surroundings, right? I'm leaving out okay. the larger question of awareness of self and all that, which is a, a larger topic. So, Armed with this simple definition, we can see that when we are asleep, we have lost our awareness of our surroundings. We essentially are un- unconscious. Uh, and it's really quite shocking to think that this even occurs uh, in animals, you know, given how vulnerable it makes them. And and <laughs> mm-hmm. let's be clear, it also, you know, makes us because we are <laughs> animals as well. And, and we have this habit of falling unconscious uh, every single night. So... Let's talk about people for a minute. There are 7.8 billion humans on earth right now. Generally, you're supposed to get about eight hours of sleep. One third of our day, eight hours is one third of our day, right? So for one third of our day, you know, they, people are sleeping. At any given moment, there's about 2.5 billion unconscious humans collapsed across the surface of the earth. Huh. Which is not how we're used to thinking about it. But I mean really it's not like at all. two point yeah. five billion unconscious humans right now. And of course the human population is not uh evenly uh, distributed across the face of the earth. So it's gonna vary. It sometimes it's gonna be less than that, sometimes there's gonna be quite a bit more of that, depending on where it is. Well, and time. also,
2: you know, some of those uh humans are babies and babies sleep a lot more than eight hours a day.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's true, that's very true. Um which again, if you're a baby and you're already really vulnerable, uh, adding unconsciousness into that mix is not particularly helpful, right? Although it is really nice when you're a new parent and you're like, oh, thank God, they've they've gone unconscious. Uh, unex- let's be clear, unexpected unconsciousness in your baby is a 911 call, but expected consciousness is a wonderful, beautiful, glorious moment. Uh, what a way so to phrase that. Let's keep in mind that uh, that's just humans. Uh, There's also rhinos and sheep and cows and birds and insects and an amazing variety of animal life on Earth. And this same pattern holds true for all of them. The sun goes down and they lapse into a vulnerable, unconscious state. Now, it's true. Uh, not al- all animals do at night. Uh, I'm talking about what we call diurnal animals. So the, that means those that are awake during the day. We also have nocturnal animals that have flipped the pattern and they're awake at night. And there's even those that really mess with the timing of sleep and are most active at dawn and dusk uh, and kind of sleep on and off at other times and we call those animals crepuscular. If you have a cat, it's a great example of a crepuscular animal that we're familiar with. But I can vouch for that. Yeah, regardless of when they sleep, all these animals do need sleep. At some point, they all fall unconscious and enter this incredibly vulnerable state. And evolution can be thought of as a process of weeding out those things that make a species less likely to succeed. So from that perspective, it seems pretty shocking that sleep exists at all. Falling unconscious for one third of every 24-hour period is not only incredibly inefficient, uh, it's also dangerous. So what this tells us is that sleep must be incredibly important mm-hmm. if there's no way to avoid it. Uh, animals must sleep. Even animals that hibernate, we have learned animals that hibernate actually come out of hibernation in the middle of the winter so they can sleep and then go back into hibernation. Wait, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, animals that what? hibernate will act now, they, they're not going to look any different to someone who is to observe them because they sleep and hibernation look kind of similar. But if you monitor their brain activity, hibernating animals who actually come out of hibernation, go to sleep and then go back into hibernation, which gives you an idea of how incredibly important sleep really is. Now we don't,
1: especially, especially with with how many animals sleep. I think every single animal sleeps. So how far back in the evolutionary history must sleep
0: have developed oh it's unless unver- it's- it seems to be a very core fundamental thing that must go back incredibly far um right. so if we think that we, we don't understand everything about sleep yet it's a really great place where research is being done but one of the things we are coming to understand more and more is that sleep is when the brain goes into repair mode and if we don't sleep the brain eventually cannot continue to function correctly now nature loves to come up with solutions to problems through evolution And falling unconscious uh, is definitely a problem (laughs) that you'd think needs to be overcome. So my favorite solution is something called unihemispheric slow wave sleep. Oh, I know what this is. So slow wave sleep. I have no idea. Perfect. Slow wave sleep is what might commonly be called deep sleep or uh, rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. Okay. Uh, This is like that deepest state of sleep. And it's clearly very important uh, to animals. Unihemispheric slow-wave sleep means uh, half of your brain goes to sleep at a time. So uni, meaning one, and hemispheric, so you know half of your brain. So one half of the brain is sleeping at a time. Uh, this has been observed in cetans uh, like dolphins, whales, and orcas, also in birds. Uh, one really weird quirk about unihemispheric slow-wave sleep is that animals that do it sometimes literally sleep with one eye open. So, oh, I don't like that. Yeah, <laughs> so there's that old phrase about sleeping with one eye open. Well, there are animals that do that uh, because, you know, the, the half of their brain that is sleeping, that eye that corresponds with that half of their, their body goes to sleep, or actually, usually it's crossed. It's the, the opposite eye, uh, you know, is right. the one that's going to go to sleep, and the other eye is awake and alert, and that half of the brain is monitoring for predators and whatnot, and they'll take turns on which half of their brain is sleeping at once, which is just I would not awesome. want
1: to come across an orca who is half of its <laughs> brain is asleep. That sounds like a terrible idea.
0: Well, it's probably going to be uh, not as alert as it would be when its whole brain is uh, active. So they definitely are a little bit more like chilled out at this time, um, but they can still be more aware of their surroundings. So it's a compromise. It's not like they're just tootling about their normal activity like feeding and things like that. It's just a more of a way to be aware of your surroundings uh, and you know, keep on swimming, keep on coming up for air. If you're an orca, you're an air breather. So if you were to sleep and you'll know, fall down to the bottom, you're going to drown. So you need to have a way to right. be keeping, going to the surface and getting air. So it's useful for that. Um, mallard ducks actually do this. If you ever see a big raft of mallards that are sleeping, uh, you can actually, really cool, by looking at them, tell which half of their brain is asleep. And the way you would do this is by looking. You know, if you have ducks that are all around the outside of the circle, uh, the eye that is facing the outside, looking for predators, that's the awake, you know, half. And then the the half that's facing on the inside that has the closed eye, again, the eyes it's, it's switched. So actually, the the outside half is the half of the brain that's asleep and awake. But you know, right? It's you can basically they they keep the awake side of their body that's looking out for or the awake eye facing into the outside looking for predators and on the inside they don't care what you know like uh you know hubert or whatever his name is next to them is doing because he's sleeping so they have the that that closed eye toward the inside so that is super cool now the weird thing is it's the opposite for animals like dolphins and killer whales and whatnot uh, they're at the top of the food chain so they're not really right. concerned about predators coming in they actually have the outside eye uh, you know, either closed or not, um, you know, seeing predators. And the half that's facing the inside of the pod, that is what is is awake because it, pod cohesion and keeping with your family group is what's important. So that's the half of the brain that is awake in animals like that. Super, super cool. The other animal that they've shown to do this is birds, uh, especially those that are long distance migrators that are out over the ocean and they'll keep on flying while they shut down one half of their brain. And uh, the fact that both wings can keep on flapping and keep them flying is pretty cool, uh, or at least soaring if they're soaring on on wind currents and whatnot. Uh, But they can keep on flying and uh, stay aloft while one half of their brain sleeps, which again is a great adaptation that has allowed them to move into a habitat where you couldn't live out over the open ocean if you were gonna fall asleep and plummet into the water. Uh, there are even birds a uh, really common bird you might probably the number one common bird you're going to see around your house especially if you live in a more urban area uh here in the United States is going to be a house sparrow an english house sparrow they also do this where you'll suddenly see them with one eye closed they are doing uni hemispheric sleeping it's not something that uh birds will do or all animals will do all the time. Some of it relates to how dangerous a situation is. Like if they are on in an incredibly safe spot, they're like, okay, I can, I can fully go to sleep here. But if it's kind of a sketchy area, you're like, eh, I don't want to let my guard down. They can just shut down one half of their brain at a time. So super, super cool thing that animals can do. As you can imagine, being half awake is an enormous evolutionary advantage and gives you you know advantages. So while we can't eliminate sleep, some species have evolved some pretty amazing workarounds.
2: That's super cool. That's so fascinating. Also, all this talk about sleep is going to make me sleepy.
1: I know, I, I was holding <laughs> back some yawns just because we were talking about sleep so much.
0: Well, I hope, you know, uh, you can close both eyes and get your regular slow wave sleep tonight.
1: Right. Unless, <laughs> you know, I look at the picture of the gob squid again.
0: Don't, don't do that. thanks everyone for listening to today's show be sure to subscribe new episodes drop every wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review that would be great it lets other lovers of the strange discover the show
1: Sulcus. God, I even wrote it in. We're gonna have to edit all this out. I wrote it phonetically.
0: Give it one more time.
1: I practiced this for (laughs) ten minutes. From okay, promo, ah. promo. er Wow. Okay. (laughs) This would be a great blooper reel. So good.
0: I, I am okay. saving all of this.
1: <laughs>
2: Keep <laughs> going, Rachel. You'll get it eventually. Okay.
1: You'll get it. It's uh, Promocotifus sulcus.